0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and access those and turn to Matthew 22. That's where we'll be studying scripture today as we continue our series called Climate Control. We've been looking at how our world every day is impacted by multiple influences that can come crashing into our lives and set the tone for how we think, how we feel, how we act, and even how we respond. Even little things like the weather change our outlook and our mood for the day. It can be a gloomy day and it can be a Nice start to the day and then we come out and we see the weather and changes our mood and our atmosphere and our own lives. Situations control us how we feel and what we think. Sometimes it's somebody's actions toward us that cause us to lose control of our emotions. Or maybe it's somebody's words that turn our hearts upside down and create these unbridled thoughts of unworthiness and despair. We read an article or some posts on Facebook and we have this uncontrolled urge to correct, argue, and debate even though we know it won't change anything. And if we aren't intentional, our lives will be controlled by the climate around us every day. If we aren't careful, we willfully will let go of the reins of our mental, emotional, spiritual, and even physical state of being to other people in our uncontrollable circumstances. This is not how Jesus wanted us to live. It certainly isn't how Jesus lived, even though he seemed to face constant turmoil, conflict, and misunderstandings and confrontations all through his life. So, when Jesus was asked to share what he thought was the greatest commandment, his answer went right to the heart of this issue. He gave two simple commands to teach his followers how to set the tone in their culture instead of just reacting to it. Instead of being controlled by the climate of our culture, he gave us two commands that will allow us to begin to set the climate for the culture in our lives and even in our world. These commands are simple love the Lord love others. They aren't complex, aren't complicated, they just require obedience. These are the greatest and most important commands, not because they are what God needs. It's because they are what we need most in our lives to truly experience the pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope that God created us for. Following these commands don't make God happy, content, or delighted. Following these commands instead bring joy, contentment, and delight into our lives, no matter the circumstance or situation. Last week, we looked at our ability to love the Lord. It's birthed in us when you and I experience the love of God through Christ Jesus. We looked at how loving the Lord shows up in different areas and in different ways in our life. Not just loving Him for what He can do for us, but responding to Him in love. We can love Him with our heart, actually have a desire to be with Him, a longing to be in His presence. We love Him with our soul. We want to do things together with Him, experience life, invite Him into our experiences. We can love him with our mind. We can explore, ask questions, have deep conversations, bring up the difficult conversations with him. And then finally, we can love him with our strength, which means resolve, that we put it into actions. We start acting out based on how we're experiencing the love in our heart, mind, and soul. Loving the Lord is the way what truly brings satisfaction into our lives that we can't experience any other way. Expressing love to the Lord actually fills us with love and gives us the ability to follow the next command of loving others. So let's take a look today at this second command and we actually begin to control the climate around us, and that is by loving others. Matthew 22, 39 continues, it says for us originally to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and now it says, Jesus is saying the second command is just as important. He says, The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He was basically giving the the people that were asking this question more than they wanted. They said, what's the greatest command? And he said, the greatest command is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they were probably all nodding their heads going, yes, yes, of course. And he said, but the second is just like it, just equal to it. And it's to love your neighbor as yourself. These commands sound beautiful and simple. Love your neighbor. Show kindness to those around you. Be a good friend. Think about how your actions impact others. We often use this to just remind ourselves and others to simply just don't be a jerk. We can easily identify people in our lives, right? These jerks, people who don't try to do the things that we want them to do. Living here in the city, if we can identify jerks on the subway, people who don't get out of the way, who, people who try to get on the subway before other people get off, people who walk on the wrong side of the sidewalk or the wrong side of the stairs, be just like, go with the flow. Do what everybody else is doing. Don't be a jerk. We basically make neighborly love mean, don't get in my way, don't offend me, and I'll be my, do my best to not get in your way and not offend you. We think that loving your neighbor is different than loving your friends or loving your spouse and your kids and your family. And it is different than those kind of loves. Look back at the command. We are to love our neighbors, not like we love our family and our friends, but we're actually to love our neighbors like ourselves. This is quite a challenge because we love to love ourselves. We want blessings for ourselves. We want kindness for ourselves. We want ourselves to have the benefit of the doubt, think the best about ourselves, even when we fall short. We give ourselves some slack because we know what kind of day we've had. Self-love is the most understanding love there is, and it is the most sacrificial love there is. And this is the type of love that Jesus says we're to show to our neighbors. Not just accommodating love, but a love that elevates. As difficult as it is for us to take in, it was difficult for Jesus' audience that day as well. Let's look at a complementary passage of scripture that adds some more to this command. Luke 1025 37 adds on and it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, But who is my neighbor? I think this would have been my first question as well. Who are you talking about, Jesus? Who do I need to love like myself? Give me an exact list of these people. Is it my friends and family, people that live one door down from me, two doors down from me? Is it everybody on my hallway? Is it even the loud guy or the guy who doesn't separate his trash or return the luggage cart? Just give me the list and I'll love those people. Because once I know who this is, then I'll just surround myself with people that are easy to love. I'll insulate my relationships. If you define who my neighbor is, the smallest quantity of people... I'll make sure I love them well, but I'm not going to love anybody else. Just to make it easier. But Jesus gives quite a different answer, and he does it in the form of a story. Verse 30 says this, Jesus replied to the man, There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, who was another member of the religious class, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? They answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I love what Jesus does here. In of defining who my neighbor is, Jesus defines what neighborly love is. And in doing so lays the groundwork for how we are to love those that our lives intersect with on a daily basis. Who is your neighbor? Jesus says this, it is whomever you interact with today, tomorrow, or the next day. And there are two concepts that stand out to me from this passage and this parable. To truly begin to love our neighbor, we must embrace both of these principles. So let's take a look at them. Principle and concept number one is this. Neighborly love is first and foremost, compassion. Verse 33 said, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. As we walk back through this story, we can see that compassion, what compassion is, and how we can do it as well. When we see someone in need physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we can be compassionate. First few things about compassion is this. Compassion is a choice. Think about it. Multiple people walked by this man on that day who had been left for dead. Each made a choice. The priest and the Levite made the choice to walk as far as they possibly could, away from the man. They crossed to the other side. Now let's give a little context to this. They were traveling, I said, from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means that they had most likely been to the temple. They had been to church and were now heading out, heading home. And they had probably talked about who God is. They had talked about his love and his grace that they had experienced. They had probably talked about how certain people weren't there that day. People weren't as committed as they were. All those kind of conversations. They talked about how they were shining examples of faith and how they had a choice to show that grace to other people. But yet they failed. Now to give you some other context here, priest and Levite and people in those days, there were commands to follow when they saw someone that was dead or someone that was beaten and bloody. And it was this, to not touch the body. And it wasn't that it was sinful to touch the body. It was just, if you came across a dead animal or God forbid, a dead person, and you touch them, it would make you unclean. Uh, in those days, it would spread disease. And so God had given them a health command to steer clear, to go the other way, to don't touch. Because if you did, it meant that you would have to spend seven days outside of the your village, outside of your, your home, getting clean and going through a process of cleanliness. And so they looked at somebody, not knowing if he was dead, certainly saw that he was beaten, and they make, made a choice. They said, we're going to cross as far as we can as to not inconvenience ourselves with what's going on in this man's life. It would not have been sinful for them to go and to bring aid to this man, but it certainly would have cost them time, energy, and effort. It would have been a challenge. But then another man passed by, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans, if you don't know, were basically a racially mixed group. They were part Jew and part something else. They weren't really accepted by either of their groups and were looked down upon. Yet this man, who probably had not been to the temple because he wasn't allowed to, and probably had as many reasons as anyone not to show love and compassion, he is the one who stopped, saw the man, and had compassion on him. What I want us to understand today is this. Every day we have a choice, just like these three individuals, to show compassion to those we come across. And we can come up with legitimate reasons not to show compassion. We can rationalize why this would be inconvenient for us, why we don't have time, why we shouldn't get involved, or simply don't want to be helpful. But that doesn't stop compassion from still being a choice we can choose. We see our neighbors, those our lives intersect with on a daily basis, in some kind of need, and we can either choose to ignore or get involved with compassion. The question we have to ask ourselves is why do we choose sometimes to walk on the other side instead of sopping. And I think it's because we love ourselves more than we love our neighbors. We elevate our needs, our schedules, our desires about, about our things going on in our life above those of others. We are more important than that person. When I elevate myself above my neighbor, it creates conflict, not peace. Here's a key idea. Choosing compassion is how we become people of peace instead of people of division. We don't start looking at the differences and the inconvenience of choosing compassion, which causes a conflict. We start choosing compassion, which brings peace into a situation. Second thing about compassion being a choice is this. Compassion requires a response, not just a choice. It's not just going and looking. It's actually responding. Verse 34 says that the Samaritan went to him, bound his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an end to take care of him. Compassion is not simply noticing the needs of others and even being sympathetic toward them. Instead, it is actually choosing to respond to the need and doing what we can to make an impact in the situation. It's actually interrupting our lives. I imagine it didn't take long for the priest and the Levite who walked around the man to forget him. Maybe for a moment they had a second thought about helping. But once they were on their journey past him, their thoughts probably turned back to their self, saying things like, well, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I should probably look out for myself. The tragedy of others only motivated them to elevate their need of self-preservation instead of compassion. Their response was for their own safety and security, not for the aid of others. However, the Samaritan just didn't stop to check on the man. He did what he could to heal his wounds. He took whatever resources he had, the oil, the wine, the money, in that moment, and impacted the situation. Instead of telling the story of the man he had seen beaten on the road, and how he was glad that that didn't happen to him, he responded to the injustice. He engaged in the story of another person's life. When we isolate ourselves from others' needs, this creates division. We may feel bad, but we're glad it's not me. The key idea is this. Responding with compassion is how we connect our lives with others through relationships. We can walk by and see an individual in need and see them as a project, see them as a clad. As a not, that's not us. But actually getting involved moves us into relationship with other people, which is actually how we can begin to love them. The third thing about compassion is this. It's a choice, it's a response, but compassion is also sacrifice. Says in verse 35, the next day he took out his money, his two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And if you spend something else, I'll repay you when I come back. By the time the priest and the Levite had probably safely arrived in Jericho or whatever their final destination was, they were probably laying down, putting their heads to bed in the comfort of their own homes. The Samaritan was checking into some dingy roadside inn, carrying this man beaten within an inch of his life. Not, he not only made a choice to stop, he decided to respond and he also demonstrated a willingness to sacrifice for the needs of others. He sacrificed his time, he stayed the night to make sure that he would be alright, he covered the cost of the man's care and came back to make sure he was doing alright. Compassion isn't just feeling bad for someone, and it also isn't just reaching out occasionally and making sure everything's alright. Compassion is literally jumping into the deep end with someone in their life. Sacrifice is when we truly begin to love our neighbor as ourself. We bestow upon them the same thing we would desire in our own lives if we were in that situation. True compassion has no limit. If our neighbor is hurting or in need, the compassion responds and it responds with sacrifice. Imagine if we all really lived like this. When we limit compassion, we are creating barriers in relationships. Here's the key idea. Choosing to sacrifice breaks down man-made barriers to relationships. When we choose to sacrifice to treat someone like ourselves, all of a sudden we don't see the differences in others' lives. We start seeing how we have the same needs that they do. So neighborly love is first and foremost driven by compassion, a willingness to choose and stop, to get involved, and to sacrifice as we respond but there's a second aspect of neighborly love that's mentioned here and it's this it's mercy verse 36 and 37 say it this way jesus asked which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and they replied to him the one who showed him mercy and jesus said you go and do likewise the samaritan the samaritan showed compassion because he had mercy what is mercy Mercy in this context is the idea of equality. Our willingness to show compassion to someone is not determined by who they are, what they have to show to respond to us or to repay us. Mercy doesn't add value or take away value of someone because of their race, religion, social standing, or ability to return the favor. Our natural tendency is to identify and elevate the differences we see in others. When we first meet someone, we typically see what is different about them and then see if we can find enough in common to overcome those differences. Mercy does the exact opposite. It finds our commonalities and elevates those. So how do we embrace equality the same way that the Samaritan did? I think there's a few things we can do. The first very tangible step is this. We have to choose to remove labels. We don't get to define people by generic labels. Male, female, black, white, gay, straight, American, foreigner, whatever label we want to put on people. These all carry some meaning, but they are not the defining quality of each of us. Think about it. What if you were treated just by one of those labels? If you're a man or a woman and you were only labeled and considered decisions made about you based on that one characteristic. It's an incomplete view of you. But yet we treat other people the same way. No one is defined by one specific label. And when these men walked by and they passed on the other side, they saw a man in a desperate situation in need of help. They saw something beyond them. They saw a label of an injured man. And they said, I don't want to get involved. You and I... To show mercy, have to be willing to remove labels. Don't look at people as singular characteristics, but as a complete picture of God's created force. That God created them unique, just like he created you unique. The second thing we have to do to embrace equality is this. We have to be willing to remove levels. Now, man man for all of history has made social and economic barriers based on status or created perceptions. Rich, poor, smart, hardworking, dumb, lazy. We create these levels of accessibility and of connectivity. God does not value man-made labels. Whatever label you put on someone, because of the way you, whatever la- level you put them out, based on the label that you put on them, God doesn't respect that and honor that. God views everybody at the same level. It's not our job to determine who's going to get our response or who's going to get our help based on some level that they live up to. Now, this brings us to the question of how do we handle it when people maybe continually hurt us or continually make bad decisions. And we put a label on them or we put them in a level of Like, do we have to keep showing them compassion and mercy? And I think that there's a difficult response to that, but the way that God would respond to that is yes. Maybe it's not the same type of help every time. Maybe it's not the same way you respond. Maybe you try to respond in a different way that would bring more wisdom into their life. But it's not that we get to choose to to not interact with them anymore, to choose to not help anymore, to choose to not feel... Compassion and to choose to not show mercy or to view them as less of a person anymore. God does not do this with us, and we certainly typically don't do it with ourselves. And when He tells us to love our neighbor and to show compassion and mercy to others as we want it, we certainly don't want others to give up on us, and we shouldn't want to give up on others as well. The third thing that it challenges us to give up and to remove when we embrace equality is this, is to remove layers. And what I mean by that is there are historical and personal layers of hate, pride, and anger that can keep us from accepting others. We all live with the history of our culture and our society. We all have layers that keep us apart, whether it's racial or cultural or all kinds of different things that keep us from engaging with other people because of what has happened in the past. Perceived ideas of hurt and harm that are legitimate and real. But I want you to hear this. When you allow those layers to keep you from connecting with other people, bitterness will enter into your life. And bitterness will quickly destroy our willingness to be compassionate and to show mercy. It will put that fire out. When I see somebody and all I see in them is these layers that separate us based on past inequalities and marginalizations that I or others have been a victim of. It it hurts, and it's hard to overcome those. But to truly show compassion and mercy, we have to let go of the bitterness of those layers, move past, and see them as a person. Sometimes I really do think when we think about neighborly love it being compassion and mercy compassion is actually the easier one. You know, I can see somebody in need and throw a dime their way, throw a dollar their way, try to help in a way that I can, but showing compassion doesn't always mean that I get involved in their lives. But being merciful does. Being merciful means that I step into their life. I set aside the labels, the levels, and the layers that have separated me from them And I'm willing to invest in a person that I may not normally invest in. And this is what makes Jesus different. This is what makes following Jesus different. This isn't for everybody. It's not the way of every teaching or every man or every woman. But if we choose to be followers of Christ, this is part of what we embrace. The ability and the calling to show compassion and to be merciful No matter the person. So my question for you today is this. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you showing mercy and compassion? Are you walking on the other side of the street, seeing a need and doing all that you can to avoid it, to act like it's not there? But maybe you're listening today and sitting here and you're going, I am that man. I'm the man on the side of the road. And you're in need of neighborly love today. What I want you to hear today is this. Is that God is first and foremost your neighbor. He is in your life every day. Whatever need you have, whatever struggle you're going through, God is willing to show compassion. To get involved, to sacrifice He has proved that over and over again. It says, while we were at our worst, when we were in complete rebellion to God, that's when he sacrificed the most for us. And maybe you have never felt that kind of love. Today, I want you to hear, God has compassion on you, on each of us. And God has mercy for you as well. He is willing to remove any label, any level, any layer, and to get involved in your life, and to have a relationship with you. And that relationship comes as we begin to love him, like we talked about last week, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and experience his love through the sacrifice of Christ in our life. Will you join me as we pray? God, we are so grateful for your compassion and mercy. God, we did nothing to deserve it. We are that man laying on the side of the road, beaten within an inch of our life. And God, just like the Pharisees and the Levites, you had a right to walk by on the other side, but yet you stopped. You stopped, got involved in our life, poured compassion and mercy in. God, now as we walk in that healed nature, that restored nature, let us walk as that Samaritan did, ready to stop, ready to show compassion and mercy to others in need. Let us walk out of here today. Let us walk through our lives today as people that leave a wake of compassion and mercy in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.